Welcome to Reading for a Change, a podcast from Moody Publishers where we take an inside look at the books transforming our lives and shaping the world. Uh, I'm back again with my co-host for season two, Trillia Newbell. Uh, Trillia, as many of you know, is the author of many books, including Fear and Faith, uh, and most recently, Sacred Endurance. Trillia, thank you so much for being back with us. Glad to be here. Thank you. Also joined, I want to introduce our guest for today, uh, Brian Fickert. Brian is founder and president of the Chalmers Center. Uh, he's also a professor of economics and community development at Covenant College and co-author of many books, I think about six books, uh, including, and you've probably heard of this one, When Helping Hurts, his, and his most recent book, which he co-authored with Kelly Capick. Capick, I don't know if I'm saying that right. It's Capick. Uh, becoming... It's yeah. Capic. Okay, thanks. That's all right. <laughs> um, the, the book is titled Becoming Whole, Why the Opposite of Poverty Isn't the American Dream. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me today. Oh, thank you. Okay, I got to get this out of the way, though. First of all, I got to mention this. You, this doesn't come through on a podcast, but you are six foot 10. <laughs> and I, I bring that up simply because... And you may find this hard to believe. I'm very jealous. When I was growing up, I always prayed that I would be seven feet tall because I was a basketball player and I wanted to uh, play for the Chicago Bulls. And unfortunately, uh, my prayers went unanswered. I am only six one, maybe six two on a good day. Um, but I'm curious, do you get tired of like kids coming up and asking your height? How do you deal with that? <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty much 30 times a day, somebody comes up to me and says, how's the weather up there? Oh, yes. And like you've never heard that one, right? Yeah. Each person thinks that, that they're the first person to say that. And you, <laughs> you just have to kind of decide that you're going to be positive about it. Otherwise, you spend your whole life mad. Right. So I've decided to turn it into like I'm a walking conversation piece. And I just decided to turn it into a positive thing, a way to get to know people. And that's a uh, so good it's okay. Attitude. That's yeah. a great attitude. Yeah, because I um we ran into a gentleman. He probably wasn't quite six ten, but maybe six seven, six eight. And my eight year old son uh, approached him and asked him a question, and he was visibly annoyed, which I can understand. But it sounds like you have a better attitude about it. Um, <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm not equally sanctified on all days. Let me tell you, when I get in the airplane and somebody who's five foot two is sitting in the exit row, and I have to walk past them, it takes every ounce of sanctification I have to to just keep on going and to smile. So <laughs> I will bet. I'll bet. Well, I am five foot two, so I'm just the opposite. That is my exact height. I'm five foot two, and I'm. I'm usually asked if I can reach things. And the truth is I can't reach many things, <laughs> but people often, they think, because I don't know if it's my avatar or my personality, they, they're shocked when they meet me because they expect me to be much taller, but I am just five foot two. <laughs> That's hilarious. Don't ever take the exit row seat. <laughs> I, I, I don't take the exit row seat mostly because 
I don't, that responsibility is too much for me to bear. (laughs) (laughs) Now you got another reason to avoid it. I got it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is great. Well, we got a show of extremes going on here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't even intend to talk about that at the beginning, but I just had to. Um, Let's talk about your, your book, Brian, because it's an awesome book. I mean, there is so much to think about. My head is kind of spinning still from reading it. Um, but the first thing that caught my attention about it was the subtitle, uh, why the opposite of poverty isn't the American dream. So I guess my first question for you, what's wrong with the American dream? Isn't it, isn't it a good thing? Well, certainly there's some great parts about the American dream. I mean, the the idea that, that all people, uh, should have access to freedom and dignity and respect is something we all want to affirm. But, but, you know, part of the American dream is this idea that uh, we're highly individualistic people who are, are pursuing our own material prosperity. And that vision of sort of uh, the individual who's setting out to improve himself without regard for God or neighbor, hmm. uh, it's not the biblical narrative. And quite frankly, it's not working. I, I think many of our listeners probably have a deep sense that something's gone wrong in America. Uh, uh, families are falling apart. Communities are fragmented. The political process is a mess, even as we're doing this podcast oh, today. Yeah. Measures of happiness show declines in in happiness in America. Anxiety and depression have been on the rise since the 1930s. Something has gone wrong. And, and, and we believe that what's gone wrong is actually deeply rooted in this highly materialistic, highly self-centered, highly individualistic notion of what human flourishing looks like. It just doesn't work. And so to some degree, we're saying the chickens are coming home to roost. Hmm. Yes, and that's not something we want to replicate in other cultures, um, even as we're trying to help them. Yeah, that's yeah, and how did... Go ahead, Julia. Well, I, I was going to ask if if this book relates to or how it might relate to When Helping Hurts. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, uh, When Helping Hurts came out a, just a little over a decade ago, and, you know, a lot's happened in that decade. And, and the first thing is that we had so many people uh, come up to us. My co-author on that book was Steve Corbett. We had so many people coming up to us and saying, you know, I've read your book and I'm working uh, in this very remote part of the world with this very uh, unreached people group, but I'm experiencing this very particular problem. What should I do? And, you know, I barely even knew where the country was that they were talking about, you know, and so they're asking very, very, very detailed questions that we couldn't possibly answer. In fact, nobody could. And, and I, I started to realize that what people were really missing was just the overall story. In our, in our book, we call it a story of change. Philosophers would call it a meta-narrative. But it re- really, it's just this idea of what is the goal and how does God typically go about achieving his goals for all of humanity, but for the poor in particular? And, and so people just needed wisdom, they needed an overarching story to guide them, and then they would have to figure out what to do in every particular circumstance. But, you know, you know, people were wanting the formula. People were wanting to know exactly what the recipe was, and we couldn't give that to them. And so I thought the best we could do is give them a deeper sense of what is God doing in the world? How does he normally go about achieving those things so that they could then use that story 
to you know try to help poor people in in the particular circumstances in which they were functioning and, and so that's one piece the second piece is not only did people lack a story for the poor i felt like um we lost our sense of a story for ourselves you know as i was mentioning earlier there's a lot of disillusionment in america right now there's something there's a sense something has gone wrong there's a sense that somehow the american dream isn't fulfilling all of its promise and so i realized that not only did we not have a story for the poor uh, those of us who are not poor don't really have much of a story for ourselves anymore and, and the irony is that most of our approaches to the poor have within them the implicit assumption that the goal is to make them like the rest of us, that, that the goal is to make the poor like middle, mainstream, middle-class America. But the irony is we're not that happy right now. And so why should we try to turn people into ourselves when we're not flourishing? And so the book really comes out of all of those streams. It, it's a book that says we need a better story. We need the good news of God's overarching story. And then we've got to figure out what does that mean in very practical situations? What are some key principles? So in addition to the book Becoming Whole, we've published a field guide to Becoming Whole that takes the themes in the book and applies it, creating 20 ministry design principles that can help shape our ministries amongst the poor, both at home and abroad. Hmm. That's great. I One of the phrases that really caught my attention as well in this book was uh, evangelical Gnosticism. And, you know, if people study church history, you know that Gnosticism was this first century heresy that the church had to deal with that had a very dim view of the physical world and the body. But what do you mean by evangelical Gnosticism? Yeah, it's a term I first heard from a friend named Daryl Miller, who's the founder of something called Disciple the Nations Alliance. And in essence, uh, what evangelical Gnosticism does is it syncretizes the gospel with uh, kind of the Western materialistic or, or, or sometimes we might call it Western naturalism. It's kind of a syncretization between the gospel and Western naturalism. And, and basically it says this, uh, the soul is what God really cares about. And the goal is to get the soul to heaven. And the body in this view is is really pretty secondary. And, and um, you, you know, uh, most of our listeners, well, I'm assuming all of our listeners, you know, if they are believers, uh, uh, believe in this idea of the resurrection of the body. But, but you know, somehow that's kind of um, fades in the distance in the narratives and practices of our churches and our Christian ministries. And, you know, I grew up in the church, uh, very thankful for my upbringing, but, but somehow I have this vision that w where I was heading was some kind of disembodied spirit. <laughs> right. Now it's going to float around on clouds, playing harps and wearing a diaper or something. <laughs> and and, and, you know, and, and the, the truth is, I don't want to go there. And I remember as a kid, I'm a pastor's kid, I remember growing up and thinking, I don't really want to go to heaven. It was better than the alternative, <laughs> but 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 it wasn't like this longing I had to go there. It, it, it felt, you know, like Casper the Friendly Ghost or something to me. And, and I had to kind of convince myself that God was going to kind of Shazam me. And, and, and at the end, he's going to make me like being a ghost. He's going to make me like floating around. And, and that's just not what the gospel says. You know, the image is in scripture of a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth in which we are fully embodied. And so our bodies matter. This world matters. Mm -hmm. 
And, and that affects everything about how we work with the poor. You know, a lot of our churches, when, when they approach the poor, they really are approaching it out of this sort of evangelical Gnostic framework. And so let me just quick give you an example. I, we're just going to call it the hula hoop ministry because I don't want to offend anybody. But every church has a hula hoop ministry. And what a hula hoop ministry looks like is uh, the same poor people have been coming to that church uh, week in and week out and getting a handout of a hula hoop for 30 years. And the hula hoop isn't doing them any good. In fact, they've got so many hula hoops over their body that they can't even function anymore. They're paralyzed by hula hoops. And if you ask the people in charge of that ministry uh, some questions, and you say to them, you know, it's, just, it's like it's empowering people. They'll say, yeah, yeah, we know. And they say, well, why are you doing it? And they'll say, well, we want to show people the love of Christ. Because <laughs> if we can share the love of Christ with them, then they can get their soul to heaven. And so it's not whole person. Uh, uh, empowerment. It's 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 really we got to get their soul beamed up to heaven, and, and so it really affects in very practical ways the the kinds of things we do amongst the poor. Let me give you one more example. I know of a major organization. I'm going to kind of uh, change the facts a little bit, but um, this major organization essentially takes used clothing and. Um, uh, uh, ships use clothing overseas and uh, villages are flooded with used clothing. And the uh, uh, as a result, local clothing prices are depressed and it puts the oh. local uh, tailors and seamstresses out of business. And I said right. to the head of the ministry, you know, does it bother you that you're wiping out local economies? And the person said, no, not at all, because in every shirt and every pair of pants, we put a little label that says or a little uh, uh, track that says Jesus loves you. And I just want to show them the love of Christ. Yikes. I'm thinking, yeah, because Christ would have wiped out villages. Yeah. That's not the Jesus of Scripture. And so this Gnostic framework flows into all aspects of our lives, including our work amongst the poor. Hmm. Well, I have a, a question about that. I wonder how do you change, because ev not everyone, we hope everyone picks up your book, um, but how do you get it, get this in the hands of as many people, or or at least this knowledge and idea of it, because I I don't think that many people. I think they're they're thinking we got to win souls, yeah. And so so what is your what is your um, method, or how how are you hoping your message will be spread? I hope this podcast has a lot of listeners. <laughs> That's the first right. this, this should do it. This should definitely do it. It'll get it get to everyone. <laughs> if this isn't the answer, I'm sunk, basically. <laughs> um, you, you know, uh, the Chalmers Center that I'm uh, with uh, is a church equipping organization. We try to help churches to uh, work amongst people who are poor more effectively. And... Um, Typically, uh, the churches that come to us wanting our assistance are looking for some tip or some trick. And they're thinking, you know, uh, if I can just learn this little trick, then I can work with the poor more effectively. And, and what's interesting is that the very question they're asking us, what's the trick? What's the tip? Is actually indicative of the larger problem. Y you know, uh, Western civilization it is really based on this idea that we can master the world through knowledge and through our technology. 
And, and the reality of it is that's not how the certainly technology and knowledge matter. But but the reality of it is uh, we have a relational God who's created a relational world. And it's not really just about techniques. It's actually about being a different kind of person and living into a different kind of story than most of us are. And so kind of what we end up doing is people come to us asking for very practical suggestions, and we try to get them to see that the problem they're facing is far deeper. And the problem they're facing uh, in working with the poor is actually rooted in some deep, profound misunderstandings about the nature of God, about the nature of his world, about the nature of human beings. And, and so you kind of start with where people are are itching and kind of back up um, with varying degrees of success. Uh, you know, the, the opening chapter of When Helping Hurts is entitled, Why Did Jesus Come to Earth? And so people pick up the book thinking they're going to get a book about how to help the poor. And the first question they're confronted with is, why did Jesus come to earth? And most of our listeners, are, our readers are evangelical Christians. And so their answers tend to be something like this. Jesus came to die on the cross to save me from my sins so that I can go to heaven or my soul can go to heaven when I die. And certainly, I believe that we are all sinners, that we all need the cross to pay uh, the penalty for our sins. I believe uh, the kind of the legal aspects of the gospel. But what's so interesting is that when I say to people, uh, it's interesting that at the start of Jesus' earthly ministry, Luke chapter 4, verse 43, he gives a different answer to the question as to why he came to earth. Jesus answers, they came to earth to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. That's why he was sent. The truth of the matter is I've asked thousands of people that question, why did Jesus come to earth? And almost nobody ever talks about his kingdom, mm. almost nobody. And so part of the method is to back people up and to say, we've got to go back to square one. We don't even understand what our mission is. We don't understand Christ's mission. And as hence, we don't understand our mission. We've got to go back to that first. There's a long answer to your question. That's the problem we have as an organization. It's not quick. It's not easy to communicate. Brian, if, I love the the mission of helping and equipping churches to do this. Um, what does it look like uh, when a church is doing it well? When they're tr when they're serious about poverty alleviation uh, overseas, yeah. of course, there's poverty locally as well. Um, what yeah, what does that look like? It's highly relational. Uh, we believe that poverty is uh, the material poverty, that that lack of stuff that we often see, that we often identify as being poverty. That lack of stuff is actually rooted in something far deeper. It's rooted in broken relationships. The human being is not just a body and it's not just a body and soul. Uh, the Bible teaches that human beings are highly integrated body, soul, relational creatures. And it's because of the effects of the fall on those body, soul, relational creatures that people are experiencing material poverty. And so uh, when it's being done right, it moves away from treating the symptoms of a lack of stuff. It moves away from transactions in which we hand out bags of groceries. It, it, there's often a role for that, by the way. And it moves into deeply relational ministry in which we are walking with materially poor people across time as both of us discover more and more of what it means to be image bearers. And as both parties are discovering more and more that the only hope is Christ, the one who's reconciling all things, including the relationships at the core 
of poverty. And so it's far more relational, far less transactional, far less material than most of us understand. Hmm. That makes sense. And yet it's it's a little more demanding on our part, honestly. It's easy to send your used clothes overseas or even to write a check, uh, but to sustain that relationship with folks over the course of time uh, is demanding, but ultimately, of course, what brings about the most change. I'm going to just put in a plug again for this book. It's it's phenomenal. Becoming Whole, Why the Opposite of Poverty Isn't the American Dream. And if you've been enjoying this conversation with Brian, uh, if you're intrigued by this, if you want to do a better job, either personally or in your church, addressing poverty, head over to moodypublishers.com right now and grab a copy of the book. And since you are a listener to the podcast, we want to give you a 50% discount on your first order. It's a limited time offer, so don't wait on it. Uh, but you just enter the code reading podcast, all one word, when you're checking out to receive the discount. Again, head over to moodypublishers.com and enter reading podcast at checkout to receive a 50% discount today. Okay, we've come to the point uh, of this uh, podcast that we call The Big Picture. And we we zoom out a little bit and talk about a related topic. And actually, Brian, you've already gotten into it a little bit, which I was pleased to hear. And that is, man, how does justice and justice efforts, uh, which is broader than just poverty alleviation, but certainly includes it, how does that relate to the gospel? Because there is a live debate, as both of you know, right now within the evangelical world about whether or not the gospel includes justice efforts or whether they're two kind of separate things. And let me just say, I mean, I see both sides. I really do. Because uh, as you said, when Jesus announces his ministry, right? When he he stands up, he reads Isaiah, um, the uh, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to you know proclaim good news uh, for the poor um, when he's announcing the kingdom. And then the other side, I think, goes, well, just a minute, let's hold up. The, the gospel can't become this junk drawer where we just put everything you know, in there uh, okay, you know, feeding people, gospel, smiling at your neighbor, gospel, right? Because the fear is if the definition of gospel gets too big, then it doesn't become as meaningful and they want to restrict it to just like Jesus's atoning death on the cross. So Brian, let's start with you. I'd love to hear your thoughts um, as someone who's worked in this area of, of encouraging justice efforts among evangelicals about your thoughts on how it relates to the gospel. So I get to sort this all out. That's great. That's great. <laughs> and it's not controversial, so no one's going to get mad at you. Uh, Trillia, what do you think? <laughs> no, I, 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 I don't. I, I think that, again, uh, um, what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news, but the good news of what? It's not just the good news of um, uh, having our legal problems solved before a righteous and holy God. It is that, but it's more than that. In the Bible, the Bible, in the Bible, the gospel is the good news of the kingdom of God. The, the good news that Jesus Christ is indeed making all things new. Colossians chapter one, Jesus Christ is the creator, sustainer, and reconciler of all things, principalities and powers, authorities and thrones. And, and so, so we don't get to pick and choose. Christ has already given us the answer. His kingdom is spreading as far as the curse is found. Now, uh, at the center of the kingdom is the king. And it, it, we have some people who want the kingdom 
the benefits of the kingdom without wanting to bow their knee to the king. And ultimately, the full benefits of the kingdom are only for those who are in Christ, who've embraced not just the shalom that he brings, but the king himself. And so it's not either or, it's both and. We need to bow our knee to the king and submit to him in order to enter into his kingdom and for all eternity to receive the full benefits of that kingdom. And so to me, it's just also integrated. Um, That's good. I don't think That's good. Trillia, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I just think it's a bigger conversation than we can actually have in five minutes. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when you think about the gospel injustice, you can, I mean, <laughs> I believe that it depends on what we are talking about. So we could be talking about justice as in vengeance, hmm. that vengeance is the Lord's and, and he will have, he, he is a just God who will, we every knee will bow. So I'm not, so it all depends on what we mean. Are we, are we talking about, um, uh, caring for the the orphan, the widow. Um, are we? Are where? What are we talking about when we're talking about exercising justice? And and so for me, I think um, it it depends on 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 the conversation that I'm having because when I'm talking about race, I might be talking about something a little bit different than um than I'm talking about salvation. So. So salvation, we know that as um, Brian just mentioned, we're going to, I mean, I, I believe it's C.S. Lewis says we're either, what's the, what's that, uh, uh, something horrors or I can't think of the, the, keep think of it right now. But, but we do know that we will give an account before the Lord and, and, and so we want to Remember, God is our, the king and and we will bow before him when we're talking about um, exercising justice. Gosh, uh, uh, they, there is a number of different applications to the gospel and how we walk out um, justice hmm. on this earth. And I do believe that we are called to do so. So it, so I think this conversation des deserves a, it's on podcast, yeah, right. but um, yeah, book and several, well, several. Well, and, yeah. and that's what people are doing. And that's why you see, you see, see um, volumes about what does it mean to, to be that God is just and what, how does it, how do we exercise justice on this earth? But, um, and, and so I, 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 I think, um, it, it all depends on the conversation that I'm having and who I'm having yeah, it with. Yeah, no, so true. Uh, yeah, definitely a, a much larger conversation. Hopefully we've given uh, listeners some food for thought just to kind of dive a little deeper. Um, and I think, you know, there's a lot of common ground, you know, depending on uh, how wide the semantic range is for any particular Christian when it comes to the word gospel or the Greek word euangelion. Um I think we can all agree that there are implications to the gospel, that we do need to love our neighbors, that we need to care for the poor, the orphan, the widow. Um, we need to talk about issues like race and all, all, all these things. So I, I think there's a lot of common ground there. Um, Brian, yeah. I want to ask you a question, and that is, can you share, because the season's theme is loving and serving our neighbors, and I'm wondering if you could share one tangible way in which you've been able to show love to a neighbor. Yeah. 
I had a kind of interesting experience about a year and a half ago. Um, I was in the throes of trying to complete the book Becoming Whole, and I was miserable, to be honest with you. <laughs> I was struggling. I couldn't get the words out. I was behind, and Moody Publishers was being extremely patient, but um, I knew that I was pushing my luck there, and uh, it, it was just a mess. And I, I went for a walk one evening in my neighborhood, as I often do, and I ran into a fella that I knew a little bit, but not super well. And we're going to call him Bob. And um, Bob stops me on my walk and says, Brian, I've, I, I'm homeless. Can you help me? Hmm. And I, I, I started to say, Bob, you know, I'm in the middle of writing a book. Um, I really don't have time to help you. But then I thought God might strike me dead on the spot <laughs> for the hypocrisy of the entire situation. <laughs> Bob, I'm writing a book about how to help poor people so I don't have time to help you. That seemed like a bad moment for me in the, in the, in the oh, sight God of God. God has a sense of humor, it sounds like. <laughs> it was horrifying. So I thought, well, let me try this. Let me call my wife and ask her if we can bring Bob home. And then my wife will say no, and then I'm off the hook. So I call home to my wife. and. Um, uh, say, Jill, you know, uh, Bob is struggling and he needs a place tonight. Can I bring him home? And she says, of course. So now what am I going to do? <laughs> so, trapped. so yeah, I was trapped. So, um, Bob, uh, lived on our sofa for about three weeks and, uh, boy, it wasn't easy. Uh, very difficult. And it turns out that Bob had been living in his car for about a year and, uh, Bob was Bob is suffering from multiple mental illnesses and really struggling in all kinds of ways. And it was quite a challenge and um, it was exhausting. But it was kind of interesting because um, uh, one one of the first weekends he was staying with us, my wife had to go away for the weekend. And so uh, I was home alone with Bob and I said, Bob, I've got to work on this book. So you have to kind of leave me alone. So I sat in my study all day working on my book, and Bob said, Brian, I'm going to clean your house hmm. for you. I said, great. So I'm in my study grumbling about writing this book and, and uh, how, what, how I'm suffering for Jesus having to write on a Saturday, and, <laughs> and it woe was me. And I noticed that all day Bob was, was uh, mumbling under his breath. And, you know, I said Bob's got some mental illness issues, and I thought Bob might have a friend I couldn't see or something. At the end of the day, I said, Bob, who are you talking to? He said, oh, I was talking to God all day. He said, I was thanking God for getting me up this morning. I was thanking God for giving me a place to stay in your house. I was thanking God for the fact that I had work to do today. I was thanking God for the privilege of cleaning your house. Wow. And... One of the big themes in becoming whole is that God has designed us to be priest kings, people who uh, subdue the earth on God's behalf and who uh, see all of life as an act of worship to, to him. And I was sitting there in my office grumbling, and Bob was working and worshiping his mm. creator all day long and walking with him all day long. And I think Bob showed me a little bit what it means to be a priest king that huh. day. Uh, the next morning... I came down to, to for breakfast, and there was a on the uh, kind of the kitchen table was a note from Bob, and it said, "Brian, uh, Jill is coming home today. Uh, I think you should get a dozen roses for her and put them right here." And he had an arrow showing me where to put the roses on the on the uh, table, 
And I thought, you know, it never even occurred to me to get flowers for my wife today. And so Bob was teaching me something about worshiping God and loving my wife. And um, I think God used my wife and I to help Bob, but I think God also continues to use Bob in my life uh, in some really profound ways. And God's grace, Bob is doing great. He sits behind me in church every Sunday. Awesome. And worships, mm. sings very loudly. And um, <laughs> oftentimes when I'm out somewhere speaking, I will text him just before I go on stage and say, Bob, I'm nervous. Could you pray for me? And Bob always prays. He always wow. prays for me. What a great story. Oh, my goodness. That is mm. really cool. Um, and mm. I, I hope that goes in your next book. I, I think it should. Uh, <laughs> It's actually in the field guide to becoming whole that your listeners should buy today. It's a chapter chapters in there. That is awesome. You've already (laughs) used it. Oh, of course. Yeah. Great story. Well, thank you, Brian, for joining us. These are all excellent reminders. And I just think we're in a time um, here in the West where a lot of Christians are waking up to our responsibility to help people who are stuck in poverty uh, here and around the world. Um, But as your books have reminded us, there are some landmines in pursuing that that worthwhile goal, we have to be aware of of certain ways in which we are apt to um, pursue that mission in a way that actually exacerbates the problem sometimes, or yeah. when we try to yeah. replicate kind of what we have here, which isn't always a good thing. So thank you for the reminder to be holistic, to keep Jesus at the center of it. Um, excellent stuff. Again, the book is Becoming Whole, Why the Opposite of poverty isn't the American dream. And I want to encourage you to join us for the next episode too. We're going to be right back here with Brian Fickert again, and he's going to be talking a little bit about his life as a writer um, and specifically writing as an academic uh, person. So if you enjoyed this conversation, please uh, go over to wherever you get, wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Google, and give us a rating, even a review. Uh, the cool thing is that when you do that, you get rewards in heaven. No, that's not true. But who knows? <laughs> who knows, right? Why take a chance? You might. So, uh, but it really does help us out. Uh, thank you for listening. And until next time, keep reading. Keep reading.